Welcome to the Appalachian Baptist Network. We seek to equip, encourage, and engage pastors and church leaders in the Appalachian region. We focus on having conversations on church revitalization in the mountains and beyond. Your hosts are Matthew Jacobs, Brent Snyder, Jacob Gwynn, and Travis Tyler. Welcome back to the Appalachian Baptist Network. Today, we're talking about preaching, specifically how to prepare for a sermon. Uh, if you've not tuned into the previous episode, please go back and listen to it on types of preaching so that some of the terms that are used in this episode may make more sense. But we're, we're joined with the same host as the last time. We got our guest host, Neil Nelson, from the Great Wild North there in Wisconsin. Matthew Jacobs is here with us. Uh, Dr. Shoemate is with us. And then Jaron Street as well. So thank you for being back, brothers. It's good to be back. Glad to be here. All right. Let's talk about sermon prep talked about preaching, styles of preaching, and all that. What are we doing when we prepare a sermon? Share with us. Go through your routine of how you prepare a sermon, brothers. All right, I'll go first. <laughs> I do typically plan um, in advance where I'm going with my preaching calendar. So typically on Monday morning, I'll sit down and say, okay, what's what's next, where am I at this week? And every so often, you know, I may feel led to, to change course, but that's rare. I usually stick with the plan. And so on Monday, I begin uh, with just a basic study of that passage. Typically what I'll do is I will um, print the, the passage or verse on a sheet of paper with nothing else on there, just the piece of paper. And I'll begin, you know, that basic process of observation, um, seeing what's in the text and making note of things like repeated words, phrases, trying to pick apart the meaning and the, the principles there. Then I will start to form that into an outline, which I then use as the kind of skeleton of the passage. I type out a full sermon, full manuscript, and then I whittle that down to an outline that I take into the pulpit. But but writing that full manuscript is is really important because it helps me solidify things in my mind and helps me decide exactly how I want to say things and make sure that I'm using the right phrases and verbiage and things like that. So that's a big part of my process. A big chunk of the time is is just typing that out and making it exactly what I think it needs to be. I'd say for me, mine would be very similar to yours, Chris. And, and the, the, I'm normally way down the road with, with where I'm headed preaching wise. And so I'm um, typically because I, I don't preach on Sundays. I preach on Wednesdays, Thursday morning. When I come back in, I'm already starting the work for, for next Wednesday. And um, I, I normally start with just printing off exactly like you said, I print off, I put it in the word document. I double, sp double space it to where I have room to, to kind of dissect through and circle and highlight and question mark and different, different study process that I have. And then I spend time just kind of reading and reading and reading and reading the text. One of the things I started while I was in college and preaching was I'd try to read the text 25 to 30 times before I'd even start trying to study it. Just so it's just the, I'm hearing the word over and over and over again. And once I do that, if you read something enough, you kind of start to see that text elevate itself. You start to see 
okay, what are some of these keywords that are keep being repeated? What, what's kind of the main concept that's coming through? And after that, I, I kind of sit down with my pen and I start doodling away and marking up that, that sheet of paper and coming away with questions, coming away with points, coming away with, with a ways to explain this word in a way that my students are going to understand, you know, what, what is this word? And, um, after that, I, I kind of formulate my outline, a, a piece that I spend actually a decent amount of time once I go for my outline is I spend a lot of time trying to figure out illustrations or, um, song lyrics, something that I know my students are listening to or have they've watched or a story they're familiar with to drive that idea home to them, to really kind of paint that picture. Like someone that I used to love to to use for sermon illustrations five years ago is I love T-Swift because T-Swift would have like the worst lines in the world in her songs and everybody's listening to Taylor Swift. And so, you know, you've got, I've got a blank space, baby. I write your name. I mean, I could take that that one song line and like use that in so many different examples of what is wrong. And you're laughing at their traps, but it's true. But this is the reality. I would spend probably in a. It was, it was Beyonce I spend, when I was in youth ministry. It was Beyonce, <laughs> Queen B. Told all my students, I said, "Y'all are irreplaceable. You, you, you're replaceable. Just listen to Beyonce." Don't think you're irreplaceable, right? <laughs> but but if I if I spent um I know what I'm getting you guys for Christmas. <laughs> if if I spent fifteen to twenty hours roughly in sermon prep, there's probably about two to three hours in that prep process that I'm spending researching or thinking through what is current stuff that my students see, know, and hear that relate to them. Because the pastor I had in Raleigh, I've never met a preacher that his illustrations every single week, the entire congregation knew the entire congregation got. Well, contextualize it to who we were and where we were. You know, it's interesting. You bring this up about illustrations. I'm going to say this about it. Uh, I think people remember your illustrations long after they forget your points Mm -hmm. long after they, you know, and being a good illustrator is a, incredibly important part for uh, sermon delivery and for preparation. Uh, Another important thing that I I think we have to craft well in sermons is transitions. Transitions in sermons, as Dr. York would often say in class, transitions in sermons make the difference between good preachers and great preachers, right? What is a transition and how do you do a transition well? Well, for me, I would just say that's one of the reasons that I take the time to to type out a full manuscript is that I want to make sure those things are done well. So a transition is simply a, you know, a bridge from one point to another or from an application to an illustration or whatever it may be. So you want to make sure that, that you're not kind of jerking people around and giving them whiplash in terms of, you know, you're, you're here, then you're there. You want to make it smooth and seamless in a sense. So yeah, I agree. Taking your time to really think through that. And, and for me, really even hovering over a precise word or phrase and making sure that that's going to come out the way you want it to is really important. Yeah. H.B. Charles Jr. in that book that he wrote on preaching spends, if I'm not mistaken, if I remember right, a whole chapter on transitions. And, you know, he advocates for writing out a whole manuscript, then taking as few as notes as possible 
with you to the pulpit. But one of the things that he says you should take the pulpit are your transitions. Uh, and it's, it's like Chris said, that bridge that connects, or you might even say that stream, that current that carries you uh, right from what you've just shown in the text to now what the text is saying in the very next sentence. And so that there's, there's that smooth flowing right into, and you've not lost a connection in the, uh, the argument or in the thought of the text and where the reader's taking you on the journey. Or I, I think I said the reader, where the writer is taking you on the journey. Yeah. No, and, and I would also add this, something that was always a really hard part for summer prep. I've been preaching now, and it's crazy to even sit and think about I've been preaching for 10 years. Um, and one of the things that was always really hard for me when I first started was closing and, like, tying a bow around it, landing the plane. That was always the hard, because I was like, I've said everything I need to say. Like, well, what, what, how am I supposed to do this? And I know when I got to – when I got to Southeastern, that was actually something the school, as well as just listening to our, our pastor every week, learning how to, how to close that. And going back to what you said with transitions, one thing that I've always been told, whether it was from my pastor back home or school professors, when it came to preaching, is you always want to have your transitions. But you also, if, 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 if you're struggling in the area of introduction or closing, write those things out and clearly articulate what you're trying to say in them. Because you can have an absolutely incredible exegesis of the text, incredible illustrations. I mean, you can, the sermon can be Charles Spurgeon worthy. And if you don't land the plane properly, it's a complete disaster. You've got to be able to close that sermon off well and draw people to response. Whether that is, and I, and you know, for me, and I kind of go back and forth with it. I love the way David Platt ends a sermon. David Platt lands that plane perfectly. I mean, he says one, two, three, like he has the, the, the five, six, seven, ten ways. This is what you need to do as, as a response of hearing this. And I, I think clearly articulating your closing and taking the time, taking the couple hours a week to write it out completely like you do, Chris, and then go in and kind of what in the world was I trying to say with this? No, I don't understand this. No one else is going to understand this. <laughs> How do I fix this? Um, so I, I think clear being, I, manuscript is hard for me because I, I vomit a lot. Not like literally, but like I like to vomit on paper. And so going back through the process is hard because I'm like, I don't know what I was trying to go with here. <laughs> you know, like, so it's painful, but it is a very, very, very good discipline to put into practice. Well, and there's a difference between preaching and writing, right? Like when you're writing, you've got to be more succinct and you can't do a lot of repetition. But yeah. in preaching, I feel like preaching almost demands repetition and the transitions in the opening and the closing and people have to hear it multiple times, whereas they can read it once and probably get it quicker because they can jump back to it. Yeah. So I understand what you're saying, trying to sometimes translate the two. I'm more of a uh, uh, outline, you know what I mean, to the pulpit and, and then the the illustrations oftentimes written out, particularly if it's a quote or something like that. I want to make sure I get those correct. And I try to write out transitions if I can. All right. Uh, 
preparation time and preaching. How long does it take to write a sermon? Lig Duncan once was asked at the conclusion of a Sunday night service there in uh, Mississippi. They said, that was a great sermon, Pastor. How long did that take you to write? And he said, 18 years. Hmm. How long does it take to write a sermon? Yeah. So I know for me, my sermon prep is normally 15 to 20 hours a week is what I spend in sermon prep. I've heard the ratio of every minute in the pulpit should equate to one hour of preparation. Do you think that's a good rubric? That's a lot of hours. I mean, you sit there and think like, like if you're a 45 minute preacher, that's, that, that's I don't know. I don't know if any of us on this panel are good enough to be 45 minute preachers. Just to be honest, right? <laughs> I'm a fan of the short sermon myself, but I can argue that later. So I don't know that I've ever really counted up all the time uh, that I spend, but it would be kind of hard to do anyway, because again, since I tend to plan out a series pretty well in advance, even though I said I start that process on Monday morning, it's, it's been rolling around in my mind for quite a while and I've been praying over it and, and kind of, you know, thinking on it before then. But I would, I would say, you know, in terms of, of Monday to Sunday preparation, probably in the neighborhood of 10 hours, devoted to that task, but, but I can't say that for sure. Which, which to me is another positive, again, of expository preaching. And again, I, being in an associate pastor role where I'm, I'm given a text a certain week, you guys, you guys come at it from a very different perspective because I'm able to take that passage I'm assigned a month or two out. And then I'm able to spend a lot of time with that leading into it and also be preparing, even as I'm hearing my senior pastor preaching those passages, so that so that I'm I'm able to jump into the flow of the book that he's helping establish. Well, the authors are establishing, but he's presenting to us. And so in that way, I would imagine by the time you guys have, have gotten to where you have laid out a series through a book of the Bible, that that, that work of understanding the overall structure, the, the flow of the argument, the history of the text, the context of the community that it's been written to, you guys have put in I don't know how many hours of work ahead of time that is going to serve you each of the weeks as you get to then build on your sermons one after the other. So, so I would say in some ways you're set up to be able to tackle each passage in a shorter amount of time each week because you're, you're focused then directly on an argument that you've already identified and you're just trying to expound that then on the week that you're preaching it. Is that, is that accurate or? I think so. I really do. I think that's one of the good benefits of it. And to be honest, with with three of y'all being full time senior pastors, you know, COVID nineteen might have changed that. But you're preaching three times a week. I mean, when you're preaching three times a week, there's no way you can spend twenty hours in sermon prep for each sermon. Like I, I did it for six months. I taught four times. I preached four sermons a week. And you almost died, didn't you? I, I got hand, foot, and mouth disease at some point. It's stressful. And I don't even like. I don't even know how I got it. Yeah, um, got it from preaching four times a week. <laughs> One thing that I Neil shared a fun story with me about a pastor who was preaching eight times in a day, in a day, right? And uh, didn't get a bathroom break. Well, the bathroom break got taken on him in the middle of one of the sermons. So, whoops, just saying, you got to go, you got to go, right? 
And that pastor shared that that story as a uh, defense of using video in some of the services because at the time he was extremely sick, but he still had to preach all of these sermons. And he said, sometimes being able to preach at once and be done is beneficial to the well-being of himself and all those in attendance. Yeah. One one other thing that I think we need to mention, and and it's probably been mentioned at some point, but just to really hammer it home, you know, I think we would all affirm the importance of prayer in the preparation process. I was going there next. I like that. So, okay. Well, I'm sorry to steal the thunder there. Hey, but, you did good. Um, and I got one other thing it, I'm going to add to that too. Integrity. And I would just say as you, you get ready to go into prayer, you know, there are some sermons that it just takes you longer to work on than others. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some texts that you're going to have to spend more time digging deep into than than other texts. And there are some weeks that you're going to, especially preaching expositionally, you're going to come to a text where you grasp it and you your thoughts are flowing and uh, you're able to put that sermon together in 10 hours. And there's, there's other weeks as you come to certain texts that 15 hours is, is what it's going to look like if you have that time. And Matthew, you made a good point. When you're doing three a week, you know, it's hard to put more than 10 hours into one individual message because if you did 10 into each one, that's 30 hours right there of your week. And you still got, and you still got everything else going on, yeah. right? But, yeah, and so part of that, and, and some texts, you're praying through and working through, I guess to get back to where Chris was leading us to there with Travis, you're praying about, and as you're praying, you know, the Lord quickly shows you in your own heart where that text is speaking to you, where you need to repent, where you have fallen short, and where you have room to grow. And there's other texts that, you know, perhaps that's more of a blind spot in your life. And as you're trying to dig deep in that text, it's still got to take time to dig deep in you as well. And so you're not only spending more time studying, but you're spending more time in prayer with it as you're seeking, you know, the Lord's heart uh, to work on your heart and all of it. So. I, I think that it varies also in this, this whole discussion. True. Prayer is a critical key in sermon preparation. It's a critical key to aligning your heart with God's heart as you spend time in conversation, speaking to him about the text, asking for him to reveal to you where you need to apply this in your own life, you know, and asking for that help of the Holy Spirit. And so it cannot be understated uh, you know, this is why I think in the book of Acts, it says that the apostles gave themselves over to what? Ministry of the Word and prayer. The two together, you know. Uh, you know, it's like, what's more important? Uh, reading the Bible or prayer? Well, what's more important, inhaling or exhaling, right? Uh, and that goes can't. to our doctrine of Scripture, right? I mean, if we believe that the Word was inspired by the Spirit and that that same Spirit has to illumine our hearts to understand and illumine the hearts of our hearers to understand and apply, then, then it just makes perfect sense that, you know, we're completely dependent upon him throughout the whole process. So to, to neglect that is to, to cut your legs out from under yourself. Which brings me to my last point here, I guess, in preparation. Um, And that's going to be the issue of integrity because you can tell a difference in a minister who has lived with the text for a week and delivers the message versus one who is just going through an exercise and doing it. I saw this issue of integrity come to the forefront 
in my mentoring pastor's life who faithfully preached for 24 years at one church and was, you know, very, have, had lots of integrity and the response people had to him. And I didn't realize how important it was until I talked to somebody who left the pastorate to be a director of missions. And they talked about how they preached a lot in different services, but it just was not the same as being a preacher in a local body. Because in that local body, they see firsthand your integrity, or if, you know, as we've seen from several folks lately, lack of integrity and fails. But if you can have a level of integrity as a minister, it is critical. I would argue that your integrity is critical to your sermon preparation because the people will not listen to you if they feel that there is an integrity breach. Yeah, I mean, I mean, for one, they know you. And, and so, so as you're walking closely with, with your church family, they're going to see it. And so if you're preaching in an area, they, they see an obvious challenge for you in, and you preach it in a way that doesn't acknowledge your own wrestling with that and need for repentance and need for continued grace and even accountability. I think that's clear. And, and the other piece is, is, is we could lie to everybody in that room, but, but God knows and so to stand before his people, to preach the word and to do so kind of spouting lies or, or, or dishonesty from the pulpit, I think is such a scary thing, not because of who's in the audience, but because who, whose word that I'm delivering. And, I, and you're preaching condemnation on yourself if you do so. And, and, and so in that way, I just I think it's so important, I mean, that, that we've all kind of alluded to it at different times, that we are engaging with that passage for ourselves throughout our, our period of preparation in order to come before our people with honesty about how it's impacted even our own lives. But it also points to the fact that as we are wrestling with these things, it draws us near to the heart of our people who are also wrestling with the same things. And they're going to identify with that. They're, they're going to understand that. And it's going to help us bring it to them, kind of like Nathan did with David, in a way that was best for him to hear it. Yeah, I, I agree completely. The uh, the commitments that must be made in preparation, there must be a commitment to prayer. There must be a commitment to the text. There must be a commitment to what does the text say? What does the text mean? How does it apply? There must be a commitment to make that application in your own life. A failure in any of these areas will show itself when you hit the pulpit, right? And plus, you know, our wives and kids are all there too, right? Oh, they know. So they know. <laughs> they know or if you struggle with anger, you know, <laughs> you've yelled about losing the dog leash for the fifth time this week. <laughs> I know a guy, right? I got a friend yeah. who struggles with this <laughs> dog leash anger problem. You know what I mean? So anyway. Your kids would never lose a dog leash. No, not my children. No. <laughs> Just every other day. <laughs> and only during like a storm where it's pouring the rain you know where it's impossible to get the dog to come back <laughs> you know so anyway all right uh any other any other uh observations here on preparation several of you mentioned a schedule preaching schedule about how far out do you schedule your preaching just out of curiosity for me i schedule about four to six months I I put a plan down for the whole year at at the beginning of the year 
it may not stay the same. Uh, this year was a little different, I think, uh, just given some of what we were all going through. I did stick with the basic plan, but I just sort of rearranged things a little bit. Um, I just this last week finished a 16-week series through Ecclesiastes. Mm. And so um, one of the things I try to do is as I, as I put that schedule together, try to balance Old Testament and New Testament and things like that. So we're going to the New Testament now after spending that long in the Old Testament together. Jeremy, what, what about you, brother? Yeah, I had to start the first week of January and plan six months out. Uh, and then, of course, leave that up to – it's not definite. I mean, that's where I am feel led to go. But if the Lord seems to uh, pull me in a different direction, then I want to be obedient to that. But that is – I normally hold pretty – pretty well to that as well and by about the midpoint of the year I try to go ahead and finish out the the next six months so now in preparing uh, a yearly preaching sermon series like that or laying it out I'll tell you one thing I do and you brothers may not practice this and that's fine I try to shift gears with preaching in the pulpit when seasons change Mm -hmm. so like you know you got summer series, fall series, winter series, spring series, you know what I mean? Because it seems like, and in some ways I try to mimic the uh, school calendar, you know what I mean? Like they got a fall then they got a winter and then they got a summer, uh, spring and summer. And the reason is because so much of our context and culture here in Carter County revolves around the school calendar, you know what I mean? And so people I think mentally are ready for shifts whenever the school calendar shifts, you know, that's yep. just my observation. Uh, that, that's how I do mine as well. As far so, as one series to the next. So, so for you guys planning, how does that impact your exposition? Will you, will you then say try and fit an entire book into a single semester? I do. I do. But, but uh, my context is also different than, than others being a youth pastor. I know my students, typically their brain only works in a semester. That's the way that they've been geared. I mean, that, that with them being in school, well, they're geared. This is this semester, and then next semester I have these classes. That's the way a lot of people in your pew are still geared, even though they've graduated yeah. out of it. So know? I did that. I mean, when, when I did everything, when I was preaching for everything, I spent seven months studying the book of Acts, Sunday morning and Sunday night. And so, But with youth, I, I do go off the semesters and try to fit whatever series I'm doing, I fit into the bracket of that semester whatever yeah. book it is. Yeah, so I don't do that with the larger books. I don't do mine that way. I uh, I try to stick with how the text seems to uh, most fit together. And however many weeks that takes, once I get to a certain point, if I see a, a good point to take a pause in that series, then I'll go, you know, from the gospel of Mark after a certain number of time and a, chance to take a pause to uh minor problem in the old testament and that's one that you'll be able to cover a series in in a much smaller number of weeks and then like come back but now i haven't thought about as travis said and even matthew breaking it with seasons or semesters i just try to to break it where i find a good place in the text and think that 
you know, it'd be easy to stop here, have a different series, and then come back and pick up fresh yeah. from the next point on. Another, another thing that I've tried to consider at different times is how I could use not just the, that pattern of church members, but, but also those who may be guests for big Sundays. Uh, like for several years, I, I always started a new sermon series on Easter Sunday as opposed to maybe finishing one on Easter, I would start on Easter because probably going to be a lot of first time guests there. And that's a chance to maybe draw them in and get them on board and encourage them to come back. Don't know how often it happened that way, <laughs> but that was the, that was the idea behind it. Years ago, Southern Baptist used to do a um, January Bible series. Y'all remember, does anybody remember that from years ago? And that was, that was a way to like buckle down in a particular text. Really, there wasn't anything wrong with it. Actually, it was a pretty decent concept and idea, but it's kind of faded out over recent years. But I, I do think there is something to making those shifts at markers on the calendars like that. What I do with expositional preaching is like I will put down a series on Hebrews and maybe pick up a series in you know, first Samuel or something like that for a stint and then say, we'll come back to Hebrews in the the spring, you know what I mean? And it kind of gives people a bit of a mental break on one particular book. And so I found that that works, you know, and there's times I do textual, which is kind of like topical, but exegetical as well. I felt like I had to do that during COVID as a lot of us probably felt pressure to change the game a little bit to suit the fears and things that were going through people's minds. All right. Well, that's it for preparation on sermons. Uh, we're going to go ahead and land the plane here. Any closing comments or thoughts before we get before we leave this uh, concept of preparing? One thing I'll say, and again, I, I'm in a different place because I don't face the pressure you guys do of the week in, week out, and delivering the sermon. But, but what a delight it is to get to study in depth the Word of God um, as we do to prepare a sermon. To be reaching into the original languages to to, you know, stand on the shoulders of brothers uh, throughout history who have, who have studied those same passages, and then, then to come having, having dug deeply for the treasures of the Word of God, and, and then to deliver those and share those with our people. And so it truly is an incredible, like, pleasure and privilege of, of the pastorate to get to study the Word of God and, and bring that to people. How many other people get to do that, dedicate 10 hours of their work week to that each week? Yeah, true. Amen. Amen. True. So don't view it as the relentless return of the Sabbath. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Well, it probably feels like it for you guys at times, but but it's a good thing. I love it. I love it. All right. Thank you all for joining us. I hope you join the next one where we talk about delivery, actually, when you're in the pulpit, as we've defined it, as we have talked about preparation. I hope you'll join this last one in the series on preaching. You have been listening to the Appalachian Baptist Network. Thanks for joining us. If you have a question or comment for our host, please send an email to Network at gmail.com or send us a voice message on our Anchor website page at anchor.fm slash Appalachian dash Baptist dash network. Join us again next Monday.